0: Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Zero to 10 Podcast, the podcast where we focus on helping B2B businesses grow from zero to 10 million. This is the show for CEOs, startup founders, business owners, and even folks thinking about starting a business to help them grow. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. In this episode, I welcome Jennifer von Rey to the podcast to discuss all things mergers and acquisitions. Jennifer is a reform marketer that has become a mergers and acquisitions guru. She's an author of the fantastic new book, Now What?, A Survivor's Guide for Surviving Through mergers and Acquisitions. She's also a keynote speaker and runs her own M&A consultancy. The main theme of the episode today is on M&A and the role that it can play with startups SMBs. I think most folks think about M&A as a large multi-billion dollar deals. The fact is M&A has become not only an exit strategy in the startup or in the zero to 10 space, but also a growth strategy. We also chat about the people side of the business, not only through mergers and acquisitions, but also the pandemic and what it's going to look like going forward. We say we don't know what it's going to look like going forward, but it's not going to be the same. So super fascinating episode. Jennifer is a a fountain of knowledge. We have a really great discussion. So I think anybody in this space or thinking about, or maybe not even thinking about mergers and exhibitions, it should at least be on your radar. So enjoy the episode. And at the end, please make sure you visit our website where you can find the show notes, plus the links mentioned with Jennifer. If you enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe. So you're always the first to know when a new episode is released. Now let's get this interview started. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. Uh,
0: it's great to finally have you on. I appreciate the, the flexibility. I know that caused you a few headaches, so I know it's going to be worth the wait. Well, one check. of them
1: was for a wedding, so I think we're all good there. Yeah,
0: I was being a little optimistic, and I was, <laughs> was going to have that week. <laughs>
1: sure, right after my daughter gets married, I'll do a podcast. <laughs> it seemed
0: like a good idea at the time, but it didn't work, so I so appreciate it. I've been definitely looking forward to this conversation. And Maybe to kick us off to give the audience just a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today, and we'll get into all things m and
1: I am a former, I'll say recovering chief marketing officer, 25 years in communications and marketing, and I went through three separate multi-billion dollar merger and acquisition deals. Probably the most well-known being the Acquisition of Navtech which was a digital mapping company by Nokia in 2008 for $9 billion. I won't bore you with the details. Maybe we'll get into it a little during our conversation. But after three M&A deals, none of which achieved the valuation that they were intended or forecast to, I just got tired of saying there's got to be a better way of doing M&A. And so I decided to write the book that I was looking for as an executive, How to Survive And thrive through mergers and acquisitions. And in the course of writing that book, um, got such favorable response about the book and what I was doing, I launched a business. And so uh, thank you for having me on to talk about mergers and acquisitions and how you do them better and how you prepare for them.
0: Yeah, it's such a, I think everybody thinks, one, congrats on the book. I absolutely love the book and
1: Thank I really you.
0: recommend people getting, even if you don't think you're going to go through a merger and acquisition, it was kind of a playbook I wish I would have had in the corporate world because you really do hit on the people side and help people navigate through changing workforce dynamics, to put it <laughs> super yeah. broadly. But I think you know anybody at any size company that's going to be going through this, this is a really good read. And I think it'll help you better navigate whatever corporate environment that you're in. So so detail you know, a little bit. Uh, but-
1: what uh, Brett, what's interesting is it's really no longer a matter of if you'll go through an M&A, it's almost just when, right? We're already at 3 trillion deals globally halfway through the year, right? So we're going to hit a record by the end of this year, most definitely. It's just how high that record is going to be set in terms of deals done and amount spent. So I would say now it's a matter of just preparing and being smart about how to do them.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a perfect segue into, right? Because I think most people think about, at least I used to, right? Mergers and acquisition. Uh, it's got to be billion-dollar companies buying these right. other companies. But I read somewhere and I meant, I didn't jot down where I actually read it, but the number of M&A deals in the startup space and the venture capital space is accelerating quickly. And It's
1: exploded. I think we're almost at 2,000 deals globally. And what's interesting is private equity that has played in the multi-billion dollar space is now moving into middle market as well. So everyone's playing in all areas or all segments, small, mid-market and and multi-billion dollar deals.
0: Yeah, I think it's exciting. And if if done right, obviously, you don't believe it's done right very often, or you wouldn't have wrote a book of how to do it right. But I do think it is. A, a, I always used to think of it more from the, the small business or the startup as an exit strategy. Hey, you want to get acquired by a big company. But just kind of curious on your perspective, I'm starting to see it more of as growth strategy, right? So hey, I've got some traction, I've got a really good idea. Now I'm going to go take either some funding and go buy another company to try to accelerate. So one love your perspective on this new and maybe it's not new i just haven't been paying attention maybe you can just comment a little bit on that and you know what's working and not working with that strategy i think that would be of interest
1: and it always has been a uh, most strategy as part of the the toolkit for for any company the the reality is because of that 70 90% failure rate which tends to Really happen in that multi-billion dollar space, that's what gets most of the press. That's what people though remember. So I always say to CEOs who are even mid-market or or a, you know smaller business size, I'll say you have to remember there's a lot of negative baggage that comes with MA. So even if yours isn't a multi-billion dollar deal, your workforce automatically assumes the worst. They're yeah. they're thinking based on everything they've read. Um, but they're going to be out of a job. The company is going to change, and and some of those things absolutely do happen. But people already come with that negative anticipation. So one of the things I coach CEOs and business owners on—it's a big part of the consulting that I do—is you need to be prepared. You need to know you're already at negative ten um, yeah, in terms of how your workforce is going to react to this, and it your employees go from being what do i need to do to help the business to what do i need to do to help myself how do i keep my job where is this going how am i going to contribute so i think more than anything it's that mindset aspect that ceos need to be prepared for
0: yeah i think that's such such a good point so the communication right is is critical and it tends to be an afterthought a lot at least some of the larger orgs i've worked with and even some smaller ones it's oh people it's a need to know basis but to your point people default <laughs> To the negative the worst possible case versus in in lieu of information we're just going to go with what we think and that's super dangerous
1: i have said to because never do i believe it's the intent it's not that the the ceo or the business owner or the founder uh, or the entrepreneur it's not that it's intended ignorance it's just you're focused on the business getting the business moving forward you see all the opportunity you're excited right entrepreneurs in particular uh, you know, their, their brains are wired for where's the opportunity, where's the gap, how do I fill it? So they're just they're running up the hill and wondering why the workforce isn't running behind them. So a big part of how I consult and advise CEOs and leaders with their executive team is to first appreciate the fact that you may have known about this. Um, some of you in the leadership, the CEO for sure, but the leadership, you know, tends to find out at, at different stages but you're when you're announcing this they're just hearing about it for the very first time and can feel blindsided by the news i talked about that in a harvard business review article is a couple of years ago the us versus them dynamic isn't just our company versus their company it can be your executive leadership versus your frontline leaders who suddenly feel blindsided trust can dissolve overnight because they're wondering well, how come you knew and I didn't? So yeah. for me, a lot of that upfront discussion is preparing your leaders for that reality.
0: Yeah, and I think in, you know it's been interesting since I've left management consulting and then moved back into called the startup and small business space is the power of getting an engaged workforce. Right? We we hear more and more that engaged, but you know at a smaller company, I'm seeing it right because if if one of the the CEO or the leader isn't passionate about the business almost impossible for your employees to be passionate about the business and then how you even get the customers excited about your business if that's the case. And I think that, you know, I've come to appreciate that a lot more in the last few years. because I think a lot of the time in the BD, historic B2B world, you know, you do your job, you do it well, you can get promoted. And it's not really about the mission behind what the company's doing, but I, at least I'm seeing a lot more acceleration in the mission and the, the purpose of those companies. And, you go through an acquisition or a merger, um, even if you had that, that's, you risk maybe one of your best assets. Am I over-dramatized? No.
1: So when I, when I did the research for my book, I consistently asked for, because I had CEOs who had been both practitioners as well as survivors, right? They'd been on both sides, they'd seen it. And consistently it was that culture piece. It was that underestimating the, the power of culture and the influence that culture can have. And so they're underestimating that actually is, is one of the significant reasons that the, the deal was not as successful. They underestimated the fact that, you know, a company that was B2B then merged with a company that had been B2C or was acquired by. Both of those dynamics, you you go in thinking, oh, well, you know, we've got synergies, we complement each other, this makes sense on paper. But if you haven't evaluated that culture piece, mm-hmm. it can really significantly undermine the, the success. And the analogy that I use for executives that often helps is I'll say, think about countries and their culture, right? Countries have different cultures. And to learn that country's culture, you need to learn their language. You need to right. learn their history. How have they operated? What have they what has been important to them as that country has evolved. And I'll say, think about companies the same way. Companies have culture, companies have language, companies have history. If you aren't smart about that, your your integration of your cultures won't be successful. You have to come to that partnership with respect for the other side, respect for their culture and their history.
0: Yeah, no, that's such a good point. And I think it is really underappreciated. Starting to be more valued, but I, I think that's such a good point. And kind of curious as a follow-on to that, as we look at you know the new distributed workforce or hybrid workforce, I mean, I don't think it's ever coming. We're never going back to the offices the way we used to. And at least in the yeah. office setting, you had a better chance to communicate. What is you know, how do leaders <laughs> deal with, with the, the new reality of distributed workforce? Is it just really the, the approach and the planning to the communication or how how can they make that work?
1: <laughs> and that, I, that I've had a lot of conversations about, you know, as we said up front right now, unfortunately, it's a bit of a perfect storm because if you've got a weary workforce, then you're going through an M&A deal and you're trying to get teams to integrate. And you have in, in many instances where these teams haven't been all together in the same space for over a year. Yeah. And then you compound that with now I'm trying to understand and get to know another team, another group of people who also are remote, right? There's so many levels of, of complexity. And one of the things that I reference uh, a number of times in my book, you know, besides just trying to paint a picture of here's what's going to happen, here's why companies do M&A deals, wanted people to be smart about that. Here's you know the stages of grief you'll go through. Here are some of the personalities that emerge. But a big part of the book is focused on how to work with the other side, how to understand politics, how to collaborate. Uh, And in this this world that we're in right now with so much being remote, it's amazing how powerful a phone call can be, right? Rather than just assuming, hey, how is everybody on a Zoom meeting, right? Where people might have their video off or they're just so tired of, of engaging with people, period. And I've said, there's a... A big power in picking up the phone and, and talking to people, not about work stuff, but about life stuff, right? I, I think one of the benefits of the pandemic is that's it's become more expected, more okay, just to get to know people. You've seen their the insides of their living room or, right. you know, for some people, their bedroom.
0: My office, and, <laughs> right? Yeah,
1: so just... Even that, and engaging, actively taking initiative to reach out to new team members. Uh, and this goes whether you're in an M&A deal or, uh, or just you know now dealing with a lot of team members who are remote, but the power of a phone call um, and where you have the opportunity to meet up in person, I'm encouraging that to the, the leaders who I speak with and, and consistently. They've said it, it made a big difference. Particularly the the first engagement wasn't just about, hey, here are the objectives. How are we doing? It was right. how are you doing? You know, give me a sense of of how things are at home so that I can be smart about how that's gonna, you know, impact your work and, and how I need to help support you.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's such a good point. And I do think those companies that get that right are gonna have such a huge competitive advantage, you know, going yes. for one, getting the right talent that they want and where they want it, but being able to get people up to speed quickly and in a different environment, you know, it's just again living in that world, the B two B world forever. It's just it was not constructed that way, but you know, part of the beauty of the podcast is having some founders that are building, you know, eight figure businesses with you know, five, 10 employees and they have never right. met them. Right. <laughs> and yeah. again, runs an SEO business, Damon Burton. He's like, I've got almost 40 people. I think I've met six people in person. And yet we're growing like this. So they built the right onboarding, but even the ongoing communication piece of it, because I know you're a big, but the people side of it. And I think the theme yeah. coming out of your book is, man, if you don't get the people side right of this, it's going to be almost impossible for this to be successful.
1: And what's interesting, just, you know, as you made a couple of points, it reminded me, so I just recently did a, an article in Fast Company, which was about, you know, essentially how to avoid becoming a former rock star. And because I, you know, and I took, used my MA experience. I saw a lot of rock stars who stumble, right? Because your metrics for success change post-deal. Oh, yeah. It just... That's part of the, the progression of that integration is you're, the metrics, what you're, what you're striving for changes. And, and people who did really well against the old metrics can have a hard time pivoting. But what was interesting is the reaction I got to that article. 150,000 people have viewed that article, um, thanks to LinkedIn. But I was shocked at how many CEOs reached out to me afterwards and said, this was really helpful for me to understand what my employees are going through because you know he or she had been so focused on pivoting and being agile and and making sure that the company survived um, understandably but you know a number of them shared the article gave them insight that their employees who appeared frozen or didn't know what to do it wasn't because they were incompetent or didn't want to support they were just having a hard time keeping up with the shifts in strategy and so I encourage CEOs to just take a pause and take a pulse, take the pulse of your employees repeatedly. You know, I think we're all just desperate to feel like we're getting back to some sense of normalcy, but don't let that keep you from really always taking the pulse uh, of what's happening amongst your workforce, because it's your frontline leaders who are, who are right in the thick of it, particularly, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're in the throes of an M&A deal.
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense. And like I said, I've come full circle right back to the people side and the employee side of this from where I was. So never too late to learn, right? No. <laughs> but there's so much value in that. So so maybe if we 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 talk a little bit from the from the growth side, right? So if I'm a small or mid-sized business looking at some startups, which there's a lot of really cool and interesting technology, and you know, as some of these companies try to pivot into the the digital space, right? The digital model you know there are going to be some opportunities there absolutely what is what's the how do we <laughs> very loaded question what's the best way to start thinking about this and approaching this so if we do go for an acquisition it gives us the best chance of success of of getting the value of that company i know it's well, one of the
1: things <laughs> one of the things i see happen consistently is entrepreneurs who who are looking to be acquired so um, yeah, startup or, or entrepreneur, but you know that same kind of mentality want to build a business, explode, get acquired and to your point, particularly those in the digital space, whether it's financial services or healthcare like digital is really for companies that don't have strong digital they're right. acquiring a lot of startups in that space the the issue can be, you know, I'll say to entrepreneurs, you're used to being the driver uh, and it's very hard to be in the passenger seat when you have been the driver and no longer are you the person behind the wheel. So you need to you need to really be crystal clear on the role that you want to play afterwards, because I'd say nine times out of 10, the entrepreneur who stays on, wants to lead, gets discouraged, gets unhappy if they, he or she isn't crystal clear about the role that they want to play. And now not only are they not the driver, but now they're getting dictated to by a driver who's not maybe always in the car.
0: right? right.
1: <laughs> they're, getting, they're getting input from, from outside. And so you've got to be 100 percent clear on why you're doing the deal. What's the value to you of the deal? And then after that, if it is, if it is a company where the, you know, the legacy you had envisioned for yourself when you created the company, be crystal clear on, okay, Are you ready to move on maybe you want to move on and start your another company and that's usually what i encourage i just entrepreneurs are wired to always be looking for opportunities and and where the gaps are to fill and i've just seen you know they can be miserable after a deal because the dynamics change and the expectations change being crystal clear on what you're looking for when you approach the deal knowing who you are and what your company is all about is is priority
0: and crystal clear. And is there a way to do that? I don't mean Contractually in the agreement, because what I, as you were talking about that, I'm envisioning. Hey, startup, bigger company buys us, right? But hey, we just now have their resources, but they're going to let us keep doing our thing. Just give us maybe some funding to help grow or some teams to help leverage, you know, as it continues to operate. But I'm guessing the majority of the time, it's the other way around that, hey, we're bringing in either the talent or the product line or whatever you're trying to do right. versus a standalone business. And I think you're right. I don't see a lot of that detailed conversation of what's next if we get
1: right. Bought. so one of the one of the exercises that I do, and it's fascinating to me how how consistently it opens people people's eyes. And you, Brett, probably have gone through this as well, right? When you are, you think everyone's on the same page. You think you're aligned. So one of the exercises I do is a pre-mortem just to puncture that and see how aligned are we? And the uh, the pre-mortem yeah, comes from obviously uh, medical uh, as a post-mortem, right? The patient has died. You try and figure out what are all the reasons why the patient died. <laughs> so a pre-mortem in a business sense is I'll say, okay, let's, let's act as though the decision has been made. This deal has gone through. Now let's Talk through all of the ways that this decision could go wrong, that this deal might not Remember. be successful, and you'll have the the COO, the CFO, members of your leadership team all come with different points of view, right? And then I'll also say, just let's consider not just internally but externally, right? Maybe your competitor moves faster on a product than you anticipated. Maybe they come out with a product you weren't even prepared for. The political environment changes. Something happens in the environment. Um, But, you know, and it's scenario planning. And by doing that, you start to see where you're aligned and where you're not. And because I do think, you know, the other thing I encourage is asking each each both sides asking each other, what is your greatest reason for doing this deal? But oftentimes I think someone might say something in that moment and not really realize, yes, but the ulterior motive is X. And what I find in the pre-mortem exercise, when they're talking through the ways that it could go wrong, you talk through, OK, but how would this deal impact that? How, how would we how would we either be burdened with this or be in a better position? And it's through those conversations that I think both sides have greater clarity around why they're doing the deal what would be the impact to the deal if any of these one variables were, oh, yeah. to, were to happen? And it's, it's interesting, those pre-mortem exercises, the military, anytime I've had somebody who's former military says, this is what we need to do. I mean, they, they know the importance of doing drills, right? To prepare yeah. for war, you do drills. You don't just, you know, Go. send soldiers out with equipment You know you have them drill and train and be prepared for every possible scenario so it's it's fascinating to me how often someone who's been in the military will say yes we need to do this and we we should do this frequently right just to always be thinking about what are what are things that could go wrong
0: yeah i really love that concept i'm just figuring out how to incorporate (laughs) it into more what i'm doing because it just makes sense right i mean it's right it goes back to scenario planning but thinking about the potential outcomes, we tend to look at the most optimistic, right? right. Or the most wishful it's that, Hey, this is what we want. But I mean, is that the reality of what the potential outcomes? And
1: I think Brett, because I asked, I've had, and, and, and I, I tend not to, to be gender specific, but I've had many gentlemen who have said to me, you know, more often than not, I wouldn't ever think to do this because I don't want to, I don't want to put the negative out there. right? Right. I don't, I don't even want to talk about the possibility of this happening because I feel like that'll make it happen. (laughs) And I'll say, I get you. I said, but now through this conversation, you actually have better line of sight on, okay, what would be the ways that we would remedy this? How would we overcome it? How, what kind of impact would this have on us if this were to happen? And so, but it's funny, I do, I think there's a little bit of a, you know, but if we if we talk about it, it might happen. And, and so for me, the the importance of the value of that exercise is to say, okay, it's possible. I don't think you're necessarily going to put it in motion just because you've talked about it, but now you've at <laughs> least got a plan for how you would react if that if if that were to happen.
0: If it happened, yeah. Plan. What is it? Plan to fail or fail the plan or failing to plan is planning to fail or something along yes. those <laughs> lines, right? Yeah. Or, uh, what I use with my my daughters sometimes: hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Right. So you've got Way super simple than what the way you articulated that. But, you know, it's the same thing, right? You, you really want the best to happen, but you better have contingencies, right? right? Or at least understand what could happen and is there, what do you do next? So, right? yeah, interesting. And I think this is such an, a fascinating time with the, the m a space and the change and the, the, the power that these smaller companies can actually have. Now, I, don't know, right. I don't know if I shared with you in the past, but, you know, when I was in management consulting before I ended up moving back into the, the startup space and small business space full time was, you know, there was a, a merger and acquisition of a, you know, it was a billion dollar company acquired a, a startup that was going head to head with one of their smaller divisions, right? So it wasn't even a large percentage of their revenue, but this startup was just eating them for lunch because their business model was digitally based, their go to market was more you know, conversion-based versus the old cold outreach type of thing. So it was just yep. the battle of models. But what this company had to want to do when they acquired this startup was not only to acquire them, they wanted to flip their business model to what the startup was doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yes, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. It's going to be a good way to modernize. But long story short, in the, the postmortem is it got bogged down and it just, I mean, they had... It, the theory was right, but yep. it was the people. It was they got bogged down in minutia of certain projects versus the the bigger structure pushing forward, and you know that was one of the reasons. the
1: the body rejected the new organ.
0: Yes, <laughs> and it was a big change, right? They weren't just asking to hey, we're going to integrate in and we're going to flip flop the way we're we're going to market, and so I loved the idea of big thinking, but.
1: And that's, you know, the fascinating thing, what the joke is, change is hard, right? So I'm confident that that, the larger company truly did believe, okay, we acquire this smaller, nimble, more entrepreneurial-oriented company, and we're going to benefit from that. But it is very hard to give up your old way of doing things. It is. And so particularly if, and you can't half-ass it. Right, you can't just say, "Well, we'll take a little bit of what they did." If you really appreciated the model that they had, you you have to embrace it. I think it's Andy Grove, right, with Intel, who just is constantly paranoid and and has constantly disrupted themselves. His his comment is, "I want to disrupt us before someone else does." does. Yeah, and so the the same goes in those scenarios. You have to really be open and ready for the change that comes with that. And that can be hard. Again, I go back to that article about when metrics for success change, it can be difficult to really understand what those new metrics are. And I write that as somebody who failed miserably. My first acquisition (laughs) experience, I did not recognize that the metrics had changed. I'd been B2B, we were absorbed by uh, B2C with with Nokia. It was a long journey, and and unfortunately a painful one to recognize what they expected of me was not what I had done in the past. All right, I was really proud of my B two B achievements. We had done sure. well. I'd like to think that contributed to the nine billion that they paid to acquire <laughs> the company. But what they they didn't care about my past achievements. What they cared about is how I could contribute to the future. Future, um, yeah. And it takes you a while to sometimes figure that out.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting going back after I read your book, then thinking back through that the M and A deal that that I was a part of or helping with, I wasn't really part of it is I'm like, ah, it makes perfect sense. I mean, the blueprint was there, but it was too late, right? I read the book after the fact. I'm like, now that I see where, why it really, I didn't, I mean, I understood why it started to get bogged down, but it was, it was more on the people side and the communication. Not everybody was aware of what everything else was doing. You had new people in charge of different areas and there wasn't a clear plan of how they were going to do it. And uh, man, communication is so underrated.
1: <laughs> yeah. It is and I think people oftentimes think they've communicated enough and in M&A deals scenarios in that integration stage the first 100 days communicate every day. You can't you cannot assume things have been digested that people really understand what the new vision is. It takes people a while to understand that. Yeah. And if you don't communicate, people assume the worst. They'll come up with more nefarious plans or thoughts of things that are going to happen. That may be very far from reality but without information you know they're they're gonna they'll not only think that but they're gonna share with other people um and then you've got a whole other issue to combat right that uh, now a a part of your workforce is thinking well you know joe said this is going to happen based on what he saw and he talked to the guy on the other team and you know it just it explodes so you want to you want to be over communicating
0: Yeah. Now and again, the lesson I learned later, later in life, was around that change management piece, right? I kind of viewed that through my career as fluffy, if you will, right? It's a nice to have, not a need to have. But then I worked with some really good change management folks when I was at at point B, and they just opened up my eyes of hey, the the biggest success or failure criteria is the business ready for this. And this wasn't even an M and A deal. This was just some changes going on within the organization. And having that plan ready, and again, it was back to the communication, who needs to know what, why, what's in it for me? Why is this important? You know, again, gave me a full another level of appreciation of exactly what, what you do and what you're talking about is, you know, getting the business or both sides ready for what this is going to look like. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen small projects derail organizations, maybe not completely, but, you know, disrupted enough to throw up performance where a, a, a big merger. So yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. So, what, what's, what do you is next? Right, <laughs> we hope to get to some level of new normalcy. Are you seeing any trends or anything that our, our small business and startup leaders should be thinking about? Opportunities that may be out there that that you're seeing.
1: Uh, well, one of the things we we touched on a little bit. I I look for silver linings. So uh, the silver lining that I see coming out of the pandemic is, I do see a heightened sensitivity uh, by leaders of their workforces, where they're at, whether it's mental health, whether it's fatigue, um, whether it's, you know, when we've talked about the communication piece, really understanding, because you had some companies that pivoted repeatedly, right, just to yeah. stay alive, right? You had liquor companies that started to make hand sanitizer. You know, automotive companies, it's right. started to make respirators, right? So, you know, you can go through pivoting a lot to stay alive, but you need to keep, again, keep your finger on the pulse. So uh, a silver lining that I see is a greater awareness of this. My my concern had been, but, you know, now that, I, again, it feels like we're, we're experiencing another potential wave of change, you know, I, I did see leaders who were so anxious to kind of get back to some level of normalcy, you know, who maybe forgot that for a pause uh, and just said, okay, yeah. you know, now back to work. I, 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 think, um, I think it was Goldman Sachs CEO who said, you know, let's vacations over as if this time during COVID was right. a vacation. <laughs> but anyway, but I say, you know, that we have to recognize that not everybody, you know, the, people are grieving. Some are grieving actual loss. Um, but a majority, I'd say every person is grieving. They're mourning the future that won't be. No one had predicted the pandemic. Right. No one had predicted the, the impact that this would have on how we envisioned our future for ourselves. So we're all grieving the loss of the future that we had in mind. Uh, and, and it takes a while to get through those grief stages. So I'm advising CEOs. That's one of the things I talk about in my book. Here's here's what you're you're and and no one gets through these stages at the same rate. So you just have to be prepared for that. And it doesn't mean, you know, everyone's going to be checked out right. uh, indefinitely, but it means as a leader, you have to be prepared for the fact that people are adjusting to the fact that the fissure, the future they'd envisioned isn't going to play out. Um, and so they're, they're having to adjust and understand what does that future look like? And the smarter that CEOs are about that, the more successful I have seen them be.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, even on the, the, the people side too, right? So as we look at I don't think it back to goldman sachs right i think once people have got a taste of the remote work and again i'm one of those that wasn't opposed to the office i'm just opposed to the 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 hour commute each way or the 90 minute commute each way and if you let people not commute for 18 months 12 to 18 months right and then you say hey we need you to come back and do this job that you found you could do from home back in the office probably not a recipe for success. So I'm kind of thinking the future is going to be, you just have to be crystal clear on what your model is and hire specifically for those people that want to be in the office five days a week, if that's what the expectations are, right? Because I think, do you think that's what the the new normal is going to settle into? There's going to be fully remote, there's going to be fully- I no uh,
1: longer try and predict what (laughs) (laughs) what the new normal is going to be. I have I'm going to leave that to, to someone else. And I, you know, even then I would kind of question it, but I mean, you've probably seen it, right? You've got companies that are, are actually poaching talent by offering a more flexible work from home setup. So it's, it's interesting how companies are, are trying to figure out not only how to uh, embrace it and what's the right setup for their company, but companies are equally using it either as a lure for recruiting or, you know, as a way to retain talent. It's. It's. I think we're going to be seeing that for a time.
0: Yeah, this should be interesting. I think you're going to be busy for quite a while too. <laughs> I. Yeah, we're, and I don't know if
1: that's good or bad news. But
0: yeah, um, I think it's. good. Yeah. I mean, I. Th- I again, I'm like you, you. See the silver lining, half full. I mean, I think we're in a really interesting. Time, right? The, the, the Again, I focus more on the B2B world, right? Where things were slowly changing, right? Digital was coming, but man, the, the pandemic slammed that slowly change. It happened, right? Either you're going to adapt or somebody's going to come get you. You've got to maybe a year, two years, three years to fully transition that model. But if you don't, right. your expenses are going to be way too high. Your acquisition costs are going to be too high. And again, that's why I'm kind of bullish with some of these smaller companies that have the ability to pivot and and go to market a little bit differently than they had. So again, we'll look for the good in it. I know there's a lot of negatives as, as well. Anyway, so definitely appreciate your time, Jennifer. But before I let you go, I do have to ask you, what is one thing you would highly recommend? It could be professional or personal.
1: You know, I'm going to make it personal and I say this as somebody who uh, has workaholic tendencies uh, and I see business owners and CEOs, entrepreneurs and startups all making the mistake of taking so much on themselves that they don't take a vacation. So my piece of advice right now, because so many people have not been taking vacation, understandably, but taking a pause, it doesn't count if it's just a long weekend. Um, but your brain on overdrive is not the best functioning brain. It needs to, and and there's been so much research on this, your brain just needs to pause. And it's fascinating. Every time I've had a a CEO, uh, when he or she has reached back out to me and said, I took time off, you were so right. It just, it clears your mind. You start to something that you have been, has been bothering you, some decision you haven't made suddenly with time off it becomes crystal clear what the right decision is you're confident in in the way forward it just it, the impact goes beyond just getting rest so yeah. that's my piece of advice take your vacation
0: that's it's it a happen. good one cuz you're right i've have had some folks on here authors that were talking about just that aspect right you can only do so much deep thinking work and you know, a lot of what CEOs and leaders have to do is around that and there's diminishing returns after a certain amount of point you're better off to your just shut it down and then That's come nice. back and you're going to be more effective at what you do yeah we, I think we all need to get better at that <laughs> over absolutely. time so absolutely so awesome I would like to have you back on another you know three to six months as we're progressing through the we can do it. We this. can do a
1: year-end review. What, there we go. Uh, what of our predictions came true? <laughs> How and then just you know, out
0: and see where we're at. Because I like I said, there's so much change going on. I'd love to have you back on and, and get your perspective of of Thank what you're you. seeing. So, but in the short term, if if people want to learn more about you, again, I highly encourage you to pick up the book. I think it's on Amazon, Audible, wherever you you find your favorite will books.
1: You, will you include in show notes? Yes, I'll put the on links. Book?
0: I will okay. absolutely.
1: Cause I was going to say the other really, you know, other than my website, jenniferjfondrevet.com, I would say LinkedIn. I, I post a lot on LinkedIn and it allows me uh, to be able to share what I'm seeing. Um, uh, not only just advice, but success stories that I've had. And so connecting with me on, uh, on LinkedIn would be the other thing that I would encourage people to do.
0: Yeah. And the listener. I highly encourage you to go check out her content. It is really good. And the website is full of it. LinkedIn's good. So if, this, if any of interest to you on this podcast today, Jennifer's your person. So Jennifer, thank you again for joining us. Have a great rest of your day and we'll catch up with you soon.
1: Thank you. Thanks very bye. much for having me, Brett.
0: All right. Bye.